I, uh, I love what Jessie said in the middle of her video there. She said, you know, I came to church with my friend Katie, and it was all right. And, uh, and then I came back, and, I, you know, I love that. I was not offended by that at all. I actually really enjoyed that comment because, you know, one of our big convictions and beliefs here at Hope City Church is that we want to be a place where people would want to come back to. And, you know, we, we exist to share real hope so people can have real life. That's what we're all about. But, you know, you know, if you shared your story and I shared my story, that you don't always realize you need help the first time somebody tells you that you need it. Uh, it takes some time. Sometimes life has to convince you. And so we always have strived to be a place where even if you don't believe like we believe, you would feel comfortable enough to come back and you would say, well, I'm not sure that I believe it but I like those people. Uh, I'm not sure if I believe it, but like that was all right. That wasn't like maybe what my parents made me go to or whatever it is, and you're just able to come back. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're in that spot where Jessie found herself where she just kind of came back. She actually came for several months. Um, You know, it's okay. We want to be the kind of place that you would want to come back to. And we just believe, like, no, we just want you to know, like, we definitely have an agenda. We believe that Jesus changes lives for the better. But we want you to know if you're not ready to take that leap yet, like, we're just glad you're here. And we just want you to keep coming back because we believe that's the kind of guy Jesus was. Uh, You just wanted to hang around him. And so we hope that we're that kind of church and we're those kind of people. Amen? Like, that's, that's, we're all about that here at Hope City Church. And and so we're glad that you're here today. Like I said earlier, my name is Jason, um, and I'm the pastor here at the church, and it's just a big deal that you're here. And we are uh, in the middle of a series, a Christmas series called uh, Peace Has Come. Peace Has Come. And we started it last week, and this series is all about this statement that was made in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, when the angels showed up to talk to the shepherds, and then all of a sudden, a bunch of other angels showed up and began singing to these shepherds, and here's what they were singing in Luke 2:14: glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace and goodwill towards men. And just what an incredible statement that is. That's what we talked about last week. What an incredible statement that is. And what the angels were not saying was now that Jesus has come, there's gonna be peace on earth, and everybody's gonna be good to everybody. Because you know that there's not peace on earth And everybody's not good to everybody. That's not what the angels are saying. What the angels were saying was that for those of us who want to, who choose to have Jesus, experience Jesus, we can experience peace, we can have peace, and we can experience God's good will towards us, towards us. The old, like if you want to go way back, like to the King James, the verse says, glory to God the highest, and to whom God favors peace and goodwill, which is just another way of saying that when you have Jesus, you can experience peace and you can experience goodwill. And the definition of goodwill, if you just get technical about it, is a spirit or feeling or attitude of cooperation, which is unbelievable to really think about, that the God who created the universe, the God who who formed and fashioned it all, would want to have and does have a spirit and feeling and attitude of cooperation with you and me. Like, that's insane. And that all is because Jesus came. Jesus came. And so the great men and women in the Old Testament, Abraham, Moses, Elijah, Elisha, I mean, these, these guys are unbelievable. But they never could experience the feeling and attitude of cooperation with God like we can because they didn't have Jesus yet, but we do. And if we want to, if we want to, 
and follow Jesus, have relationship with Jesus, we can experience peace and God's goodwill. And I don't know about you, but I know about me. I could stand to use a little more peace. Anybody in the room like me, like I could use a little more peace. I wouldn't mind feeling a little bit more goodwill from God towards me. That would be uh, pretty amazing because we know from our own lives and from the society and the culture that we live in that we just need more peace, that we are a society that lives on the brink of burnout and, and, uh, and just being emptied out, really. And so we need more peace 40 million people will experience an impairment because of anxiety this year, anxiety disorder sometime this year. 43% of Americans take some form of mood-altering medication regularly. We shared some of these stats. 127 people every day in the United States commit suicide. Like we, we are a part of a society and a culture that needs peace. And so the good news of Christmas is that we can have it, that we can experience that peace in our lives, that we don't have to live with constant feelings of fear, stress, anxiety, and worry because we have Jesus. We have Jesus. And so what I want to do today is just continue this thought, this idea that peace has come, and we're going to talk about two kinds of peace. Last week was all about fear. We'll probably talk about fear again next week because it's such a huge topic for us. What we're going to do this week is we're going to talk about two kinds of peace. We're going to talk about the kind of peace that we can control the kind of peace that we can control, and we're going to talk about the kind of peace that we can't control, the kind of peace that we can control, and the kind of peace that we can't control, all right? Now, when you talk about peace, anytime you talk about peace, you have to talk about it at different levels, because when I say in here today, when I say all of us could use a little more peace, that is a true statement, but all of us need peace in different ways, that all of us don't need peace in the same ways. It, it kind of has different levels to it. Like, for example, kind of at the top level, if you want to call it level one, you could call it level one, but just kind of at that top surface level, when you talk about peace, for some of us, we just need a little peace and quiet. Like, the kind of peace that we would like to have is just a little bit of, of peace and quiet. Like, like you just want to say and have your kids understand there's 1,800 square feet in this house. I don't know why you need to be two feet from me at all times. Anybody like God, just do a miracle in our house. Like just give me, give me a safe space. Like I just need you to back away from this recliner right now. You just need some, just, I'm working through some issues. Just pray for me. But like you just need some peace and quiet. Like I just, like, I just need to go have lunch in my car. Like I, lunch break, I'm just going to go sit in my car by myself because these people I work with are making me not want to be a Christian. And I'm just like, I'm just struggling. Like you, you're just, you're in the, the kind of life that you are in. Like you just need some peace and quiet. You just need life to slow down a little bit. Just a little bit, you know, just a little bit of Mayberry. Just a little bit of just like... You know, like, I want Mayberry with the Wi-Fi. If I could just have Mayberry with Wi-Fi, like, that would be the life that I would want to have, but you got to have Wi-Fi. So that's level one, if we're just kind of at the surface top level of the kind, some of the, the, the kind of piece that some of us in the room need to experience and would love to experience. But, but it goes deeper than that. We know that, that life can be a little stressful and crazy, but there's a, a whole nother depth that we could go to. If you wanted to call it level two, you could call it level two. And that's the kind of peace where, for some of you, the kind of peace you need to experience is you need to make peace with some people and relationships in your life. That, that there is real, um, there's real trouble 
and, and real discontentment in some of the relationships in your life, people you care about and love. And maybe it's not a specific person. Maybe it's just this feeling of constant drama and, and, and trouble, like that person that when the caller ID shows up on your phone, like you roll your eyes. Anybody got one of those? Anybody got 10 of those? Anybody just never answer the phone anymore? <laughs> nope, you'll text me. Um, or maybe it's, not about, maybe it's not about rolling your eyes. Maybe it's about the fact that the phone never rings because you don't talk anymore. Words were said. Maybe words were not said. Choices were made. And so now you would give anything to be able to experience peace in the relationships that have wounded you so deeply, and the drama, the swirling, the constant, like, it just seems like every day you wake up, there's something else happening to, to cause your blood pressure to spike, something else making you cry, some other fight that you're having, like, you just need, uh, you know, peace, like, you, you need, you need a ceasefire, you need, you need to experience that peace, and that's, that's a real thing. But we could even go another level deep if we wanted to. We could call it level three, peace and quiet. That's cute, Jason. Yeah, peace and some relationships, that would be nice. But like, can we get to the real issue some of you are thinking? Because I'm not talking about some cute little peace and quiet. I'm talking about being overwhelmed by fear, worry, stress, and anxiety. I struggle to leave the house because I don't know What's out there? I struggle to allow my kids to like go beyond our yard in the neighborhood. I struggle to like shake hands with somebody because I'm concerned that like germs are gonna make me sick and I'm gonna die. Like, like I, I can't even watch the news. I can't listen to anything anymore. Like, like last week we used the phrase dominated our thoughts. Like I am dominated by thoughts of fear and worry, anxiety, stress and pressure. Not level one, not level two, no, no, no. I'm down here at level three, not even sure how to close my eyes to try to fall asleep without thinking a million things that terrify me. I don't, how do you, how do you, how do you do that? How do you live not afraid? I've never experienced that before. I don't know what, what that's like. My prayer, and I said this last week, and I'll say it again, my prayer, and I really believe this, is that for some of you in the room, we're going to laugh, we're going to cut up, we're going to make some jokes about fear and worry, and ha ha, that's cute, but my prayer is that for some of you, that it is this deep-rooted thing in your life that, that this series, that God is going to have one of those light bulb moments for you, that God is going to provide, the Holy Spirit's going to provide something for you, the truly miraculous, that you will be set free from fear and worry and stress that so dominates your thoughts, that so overcomes everything that you try to do and that you'll be able to look back December 2017 as the time when, yeah, I'm not perfect and yeah, it still creeps up on me every now and then, but that was the time that I decided I am not going to live in fear anymore. I'm not gonna choose to be overcome by worry and stress and pressure and anxiety anymore. And so what, what I want to do for these, these next few moments is I want to talk about two kinds of peace. We're going to talk about the peace that I can control and the peace that I can't control. And we're going to start in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to follow along. If you don't have a Bible, you can afford one. We'd love to give you one as a gift. We think it's that important. So come find me after service and we'll make sure to get you one of those. 
But if you want to follow along, you can do that. It'll be up on the screen as well. Philippians chapter 4. This is one of those famous Bible passages because I would almost be willing to bet you got a coffee mug with one of these on it, like you got a calendar, you got something, a picture frame. Like this is one of those uh, famous ones. But sometimes the famous ones lose their power because we've quoted them or read them or seen them or sipped coffee from them. And like, there's some really powerful truth in Philippians chapter four. We're gonna start with verse four and read uh, about six verses. We're gonna go down to 10. Uh, Just some really good stuff here about the peace that I can control in my life. Are you ready? Here we go, Philippians chapter four, starting with verse four. Here's what it says. It says, always be full of, of joy. And somebody with my demeanor and personality is like, really? Like, really? Like, I got to always be full of joy. You know, like, I'm married to somebody who's always full of joy. Her middle name is Joy. And I'm like, God, can she just have enough joy for both of us? Like, I, really? And he says it again. He says, and I say again, he says that for people like me. Maybe you're like me. Like, like, it's not that I don't want to be happy. It's just like, I mean, like, joy is exhausting. You know what I mean? Like, I just need, like, can I just be a little bit like not joyful right now? And, and he says, I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. Let everyone see that you're considerate in all you do. And he says, remember the Lord is coming soon. That's in the New Living Translation, but New Living is the only translation that uses Lord is coming soon. If you look at any of the other translations, going back to the original Greek, it says the Lord is near. So it says, rejoice in the Lord, be full of joy, and remember that the Lord is near. Well, You don't need me to tell you that because we know that in Matthew chapter one, when the angel showed up to Mary, he said, you're going to have a baby. He's going to be Emmanuel. And Emmanuel does not mean God far away. It means God with us. He's with us, right? And so we know that. And here Paul's saying it again. Remember, don't ever forget that the Lord is near. No matter how far away he feels like he is, he is near. He's with you. We're going to see in in a couple minutes, he's in the boat, okay? So he's with you. Verse 6, don't worry about anything. To which every person in the room who is a worrier says, that's not helpful. Because if you're in the room today and you're a worrier, when you get around people who don't worry, you worry about why they don't worry. You worry for them not worrying. They need to worry. I'm worried about what they're not going to worry about and then what's going to happen to them. You're, just, you're worrying. And so somebody shows up, come on, you know this is true, worriers, and they say, ah, don't worry about it. Well, what do you, what do you mean? I don't understand. What do you, I don't, now worry about it. I, I, last night I was hanging out with some friends and we stopped to get some gas. And, um, you know, like we just do what we do. We left the car running while we pumped gas. And I know some of you are like freaking out right now. Well, one of my friends in the car started like freaking out. And we pull in and like, we get out, we pump the gas and he's sitting in the front seat and he says, what are you doing? I'm like, what? What are you, I'm confused. He's like, you can't leave the car running. You know how many deaths there are in America every year from car that explodes when you leave the car running and the gas is pumping? And I'm like, bro, I am so sorry. I had no, what in the, like I'm, I'm blown away by your amount of worry about this right now. And so I said what non-worriers say, don't worry about it. You know what he did? He pulls out his phone. How many deaths in 2017? Because that's what worriers do. And so you're here today and you're a worrier. And Paul's like, I got a command for you. Don't worry about anything. And you're like, I'm worried about that statement. I don't even know. 
How do you not worry about not worrying? And just so you know, Paul was not even saying that it's possible to never live in worry because we, we worry about things that are important to us. And like I, I, there are some things about the church that I worry about. But he is, he is setting this ideal uh, scenario or laying out this, this goal for us to never have to worry, that we should strive for that, but we don't have to live in some kind of guilt or shame or condemnation because, like, you know, the preacher said, don't worry, and I'm worrying, and so I, I need to stop. I'm worrying about how much I'm worrying, and I'm like, and like we, this is a goal that we strive for, but it's not something that, that we're ever going to attain, like to never, ever fear or to never, ever worry. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, gives us another option. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Then, everybody say then. Then, after you do what I just told you in six, pray about everything, tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then, you will experience God's peace. I know some of you in here, you take medication and you go to a doctor. I, I, I go to counseling as well, different seasons in my life. Like, I get that. I love the peace that a doctor gives. I love the peace that a pill can provide sometimes. But I don't know about you, but I want God's peace. Isn't that true? Like, thank you, God, for the miracle of medicine. But, like, I would love a dose, a hit of God's peace. And he says you can have that. You'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And I love this. His peace will guard your heart and your mind. I love this idea that he's guarding it. Like, all right, I'm gonna give some peace and then I'm gonna guard this sucker right here so that like the other things can't sneak in and rob that peace. Like, I don't, I don't want, just want like a thrill. I need, I need God to guard it so I can keep it. Like, I, I feel great for the next five minutes, but I'd like to keep that. He says he's gonna guard your heart and your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. A couple more verses, verse eight. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then, everybody say then. Yeah. After you do what I just told you, fix your thoughts on pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, worthy of praise things. Then, the God of peace. I love that he's a God of peace. He's not a God of confusion. He's not a God of worries, a God of peace, then the God of peace will be with you. He's Emmanuel. He's with us. Then the God of peace will be with you. And so Paul lays out several things here for us. If we want to not worry, not fear, not stress, not be anxious for, for the things that are in our control, he gives us some instruction. He gives us a, a roadmap for how we can experience more peace, things that we can do on our own that are within our control that we can do. And you saw him in there. He says, don't worry about anything. He said, instead, pray about everything. So he, he's, he's juxtaposing. He's putting these two things beside each other because they both do not coexist. You will either continue or keep or grow in your worry or you will pray more, but you probably will not do both because you won't pray more and worry more. It's not possible. And so he says, instead of worrying about everything, I want you to pray about everything. Go to God. 
Just pray. Be a prayer. Go to God and talk to him about it. And you say, well, I don't really know how to do that. How do I, how do, I do that? Well, he tells us. He says, tell God what you need. I love that. Now, you know you don't tell God what you need because you have to inform God. The Bible says in Matthew that he, already, he knows what we need better than we know what we need. You know what I mean? So we don't have to tell God what we need, but we do tell God what we need because it makes, it makes us feel better and calms us to know that we are communicating with God about the things that we're, that we're feeling. And I, I struggled. A lot of you have heard my story. I've shared it before, but I struggled with prayer a lot growing up because I, I never really knew how to communicate with God. And I grew up around preachers. I grew up in churches that were, you know, pretty, pretty crazy and chaotic. And it seemed like prayer was this, like, really high-energy thing. And I'm not necessarily a high-energy person unless I'm dancing the NSYNC Christmas. And so I, I, I always kind of struggle with that. And then I read where Jesus says, hey, here's what I want you to do when you pray. Go into your closet, close the door, talk to me. I'm like, man, I don't know how to do that. I don't know that I've ever really seen that. I don't know how to do that. And, and, and what really changed the game for me was when I gave myself permission to tell God how I feel. I never really knew I could do that. I could really be honest with God about what it is that I'm feeling. God, I'm scared. God, I'm nervous. God, I'm happy. Thank you. God. Just, this, just being able to talk to God about, about what I'm feeling. And so, I mean, this happened again for me just last week. Just last week, I, I was driving home, and I, I, I just was feeling very overwhelmed by, by some things happening in my life right now. I've got to make some really big decisions uh, actually, I was already have supposed to have made some big decisions, but I didn't have peace about those decisions. And so I feel like I'm falling behind and I feel like God's not helping me. And so as I'm driving home, like I am just starting to freak out a little bit. And tell me if you've ever felt this before, but maybe like me, you've experienced like when you are frustrated, God has not solved whatever it is you're stressing out about. So you decide you're going to take it off of God's plate, take it back under your control and you'll find your own solution because you think that would make you feel better. And that will not make you feel better, but it's what you think it'll make you feel better. So I could hear myself uh, arguing with myself about how I needed to just go ahead and take this back over as project manager, and so I could solve this problem for God and, I, and for me. And so I was, I was just driving home, just feeling a little bit of fear, a lot of frustration, just some stress and worry. So I got home, and I told Andrew, I said, hey, I need to go for a run. And so I, I got, got ready to go for a run, and I was like, you know, not, no headphones. I just want to go pray. And so I, I went out in the neighborhood, and I went for a run, and I got about around the block, just like, I don't know, two tenths down, and I just began to pray. And here's what I said in my prayer. This is exactly what I said. I said, God, I'm frustrated that, that I have not been able to solve this problem yet. And I'm, I'm worried that I'm falling behind. I'm worried I'm going to make the wrong decision. I'm worried I'm going to get impatient. I'm frustrated that I don't feel like you've helped me make a decision yet. I'm afraid that I'm going to look like a fool to everybody that I've talked about this to. And God, I, I need you to help me. I need you to give me peace. I need you to help me be more patient. I need you to not help me, need you to help me not screw it up. I, I just am feeling very overwhelmed about this situation. And, and, and I took the next 30 minutes and just talked to God like that. And the most supernatural thing happened over those 30 minutes. The peace of God began to flood my heart and begin to flood 
my mind. And I felt like I was really having these spiritual experiences with God, this spiritual experience with God, not because I'm a pastor or a preacher. That's totally available to you. What was happening in my life on that run is exactly what Paul's describing in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6, 7, and 8. He said, you can either worry about everything or you can pray about it and tell God what you need. What's stressing you out right now? Tell him what you need. Drive to work and say, God, I need another job right now because I hate this one. God, I, I need more money because I have none. God, I need, and, and as you begin to tell God what you need, you'll find out that some of the things you think you need, you don't. But more than anything else, you'll, you'll just begin to experience the peace of God because you get to talk to somebody about it. You just get to talk to somebody about it. And so Paul says, pray about it. Tell him what you need. And he says, that's okay. But he doesn't stop there and say, just, no, don't just be like needy telling him what you need. Then he says, next statement, thank God for what it is that he's done. And we talked about this a little bit last week, that we don't ever take time to look back on all the things that God has been incredible with and at. We just pick new fears once these fears aren't realized, right? But, but I really want to encourage you to take some time to sit down and to really put pen to paper and to kind of think of as many ways as you can that God has been faithful and good to you. Like, honestly, things that you used to worry about that didn't happen or prayers that God has answered in your life. And you know what you'll find is that God is really good. He's for you. You know what else is going to happen? Your faith will begin to rise up because you'll go, man, I, I, didn't, I forgot about this forgot about the time I prayed about that. I forgot, like I forgot. And so I'm going to spend time thanking God as I'm praying. I'm talking to God. This happened to me the other night while I was running. I'm not only telling him what I need, but I'm like, God, thank you that I remember when I was panicked about this decision I had to make. God, thank you that, that you have provided for my family. Just, just thanking God and just a normal conversation with him. And Paul says, when you do that, when you tell him what you need, and when you take time to really remember how incredible he's been, and you're thankful for what he's done in your life, then you will experience the peace, the peace of God. But he doesn't stop there, and I love that it doesn't stop there, because that's a great little one, two, three, you know, pray, uh, tell him what you need, be thankful, I love that, we can use that. But he doesn't stop there. He keeps going in verse 8, and he says, Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. And think about these things as excellent and worthy of praise. And I love this advice because he nails you and me right where we live. And it's been available to every society and every culture. But I don't know that it's ever been more prevalent or maybe harder to think on things that are good than it is right now. Because there's so much information at our disposal. And listen to me, God is omniscient. He is all-knowing, which means he is able to handle and bear the weight of knowing everything. But you are not omniscient, which means the more that you know, the more that you feel the pressure of knowing. So 50 years ago, things were going bad in the world, but we didn't know. So we're like, I think it's going pretty good, right? And I'm not talking about being in denial or being oblivious to it, but you are not created as omniscient. You are not created to be able to handle the weight of knowing everything. But God is, and he can. And so Paul says, I want you to fix your thoughts on things that are worth thinking about, good things, which means I've got to block out the things in my life that are causing me fear, worry, stress, and anxiety. And we all know what that's like. 
The other day, I'm scrolling through Facebook, and I see a, a headline for an article that says, State of California changes law knowingly uh, exposing someone to HIV is no longer a felony, only a misdemeanor. And I read that, and I, like, in that split second, I thought, oh, my God. In the state of California, it's no longer a felony to expose somebody to HIV. And then I read the comments. There's like 500 of them just scrolling, like, oh, wow, people hate each other. Like, I'm scrolling through these comments. I never even read the article. I read the headline. I read the comments. And I am freaking out for, like, 180 seconds, like, God, what's our world coming to? And why would somebody do that? And, why? and I'm just like, you know what I lost? I lost my peace. And then in that moment, I'm thinking to myself, Jason, you don't live in California. <laughs> and then I thought to myself, Jason, you don't have HIV. <laughs> and like, I'm, I'm starting to process these things that are true. But then here, here's the voice of fear. It's like, yeah, but it's California now. And then it's gonna, everything starts in California. So it's gonna work its way over here. And then, and then it's eventually gonna get to Kentucky. And then what are you gonna do? And, I'm, and so now I'm thinking in what ifs. What if, what if. What if, we talked about that last week, you begin to think in what ifs, I mean, you can go anywhere in your mind. And so you have endless opportunities to fix your thoughts on things that will make you afraid, stressed, worried, anxious. And Paul says, this is within your control to only fix your thoughts on things that are praiseworthy, good, and excellent. Good news. So for some of you, like, I think if Paul was paraphrasing, he would say, you got to clean up the timeline. You got to clean up your feed. You got to clean up your feed. I did this. There was something culturally going on like a month or two ago. I won't get into it because I'll upset people. But there was something culturally going on, political going on. And there was like all these people on my Facebook feed who were like posting things that were making me mad. And I just decided, you know what? This is great because there's a clear line in the sand and I know who all the crazies are. And so I just started unfollowing people. And so Andrew and I will say, did you see so-and-so? I'm like, nope. I, didn't even, I don't even know. What, I'm feeling great. Like, did you see? Nope. I didn't even see it. Because I just cleaned up all this stuff. You know why? Because like I want to fix my thoughts on good and praiseworthy and excellent. And so you've got some decisions to make because for some of you, you cannot do what this says and keep doing what you're doing. Like you, you may have to turn off your favorite news channel. You may have to stop listening to talk radio. You may have to stop talking to your mother-in-law. Like you, there are things that may have to happen in your life in order for you to fix your thoughts on what is good and excellent and praiseworthy. Hear me, there are good things out there. There's good news out there. There's good people out there. Fix your thoughts on those things. I have a theory that if I was able to, to turn off all of the inputs of information into however you take it in, if I turned it off for 30 days, you'd have such a better outlook on life. I believe that with all of my heart. Not because somehow it's science. I think it's biblical. Just good news. Fixing your thoughts on those things. And Paul says that when you do that, then the God of peace will be with you. He'll guard your heart and your mind. And all of those things that we've talked about are in our control. They are within our control. I can choose to pray more. I can choose to tell God what I need. I can choose to be more thankful to God. I can choose to fix my thoughts on what is good and pleasing and perfect. And I'm not gonna make up a statistic, even though I could, because preachers are good at that. I'll just say, I believe that most of the stress, worry, fear, and anxiety that we experience in our life, we could eliminate with more prayer, telling God what we need, being more thankful, and fixing our thoughts on what is good, pleasing, perfect, and excellent, and worthy of praise. Like, if we just did that, I think most of the fear 
and worry and stress in our life would go away. So we could stop right there and we could say, thank you for that message. Thank you, Paul. And I'm going to try to do that more. And that would be awesome. But we also have to recognize and just admit that there are also things in our life that happen to us that are outside of our control. Things that cause fear and worry and stress and anxiety that blindside us, that are not something that we woke up expecting to encounter, medical results, losing a job, a call from a principal where your kids go to school, like police knocking on your door. There's all kinds of things that are unexpected. And while most of it is in our control, there are things that are not in our control. And how can we have peace when things happen outside of our control? Just a few more moments today. I would love to show you that. It's in Mark chapter 4, another famous story, probably the most famous story having to do with peace in the Bible. And it starts in verse 35, and I'm going to read it to you. It says, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind. But soon, a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. And this is not the point of the message, but I think it's worth pointing out that everything bad that happens to you in your life is not from the devil. But the disciples were obeying God and right in the middle of where God wanted them to be, and it was in the middle of a fierce storm. Jesus told them to go there, and they're in a storm. So everything bad that's happening to you is not the devil. Sometimes it's exactly where God wants you to be, okay? And so let's keep going. Verse 38, Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion, in case you were wondering. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care. And I love that because that's always the question, isn't it? Like We know God is able. We want to know, why haven't you done anything? Do you not care? I know you got the power. I want to know, do you care about me? And if you cared about me, why did these things happen? Don't you care that we're going to drown? Which they were not going to drown, but they assumed they were. And Jesus woke up He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, peace, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he asked them, why are you afraid? Fantastic question. Why are you afraid? I would love for you to take a moment and just try to answer that question for yourself. Why are you afraid? What are you afraid of today? Answer that. Okay, next. Why are you afraid? What are you afraid of is an important question. Why are you afraid is a better question. Why? Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the winds and the waves obey him. My whole life, I knew this story. Preachers preached about it my whole life. They wrote songs about it. Choirs sang songs about it. I mean, I know this story. Heard it my whole life. And I never noticed the punctuation in the, in the statement by Jesus. See, my whole life, and maybe you heard this too, my whole life I heard, peace be still, peace be still, peace be still. Like, that was always what it, what it was. And, and I, I mean, not that I would have thought this way, but like, I never stopped to like, wonder, like, that statement doesn't really make any sense. Like, was Jesus saying peace, was, was Jesus telling peace to be still? Like, where's the grammar? I'm married to an English teacher. These things are important. So it's like, where, where's the comma? Where's the punctuation? And when you go and read it, you see that Jesus was not making one statement. Jesus was making two statements. 
The first statement Jesus made was peace. End of statement. Peace, exclamation point. That was statement one. Then he made another statement. Statement two, be still. Two separate statements. Peace, be still. And I know that literally Jesus was telling the winds and the waves to be still, but I think it would be totally okay and within the bounds of the Bible to grab that command for us today. Because I think Jesus is telling us to be still. I think in a lot of scenarios and in situations in our life, Jesus has already declared peace. I just think he's waiting on us to be still. I think he's waiting on us to be still because you'll never experience peace if you can't be still. You'll never experience peace if you can't be still. Be still. Be still. Be still is a, it's in the Bible and a lot of other places. In, in Psalms, David said, be still and know that I am God, somehow insinuating that you'll never know until you're still. Exodus, Moses told the people, stand still and see that God will deliver you, which is hard to do when what you want to do is fight to defend yourself. He said, no, just be still. God will fight for you. All these instances in the Bible where the command is to just be still because something happens in the stillness, this great calm that's beyond our control. Listen, only Jesus can calm the winds and the waves. I don't care how much medicine you take, how many doctors you go to, how many books you read, how organized you get. There are some scenarios in life only Jesus can calm the winds and the waves. But you can be still. You can be still. Andrea and I, I'll end with this story. Andrea and I have four amazing kids, and, um, and, uh, but we've actually been pregnant six times. I say we. She's been pregnant six times. And um, our first pregnancy before Sadie, uh, we lost, we had a miscarriage. And I remember that night, she comes into the room, we're pregnant, so exciting, and we, we committed. Like, we're not gonna tell anybody for 12 weeks. And three hours later, we had told everybody. Like, we just didn't, we couldn't help it, you know? And, and so we're, we're excited and, and all these things that are happening, you know, and, and I remember she called me a few weeks later and she says, hey, there's some complications. I'm gonna go to the doctor. We went to the doctor and sure enough, they told us like, hey, listen, um, you know, you've had a miscarriage. It's crushed us. And here's what they told us. They said, listen, don't worry. <laughs> Thank you for that. Don't worry. One in every three pregnancies ends in a miscarriage. But you know why that information was not helpful to us? Because we didn't know anybody who had had a miscarriage. Like my, my, my brother and sister-in-law like hug and get pregnant. Like we, 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 didn't, we, we didn't know anybody. So you say one in three. Thank you for the statistic. Ours is O for everybody. We're the only ones we know that had had one that we knew of. That's one beautiful thing about the body of Christ is when you go through something, you realize who else has been through something. So the love and support was amazing because everybody's like, we had five, we had three. We, they're like, wow, I had no idea. And so they're like, yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> One in three. So then you start saying, well, what if we never are able to have children? And you start saying, well, what, what, if, what if, and you just start going through all these issues. Andrea's crying. I'm trying to be protector. What can I do for my wife? We're driving home. We get home, and we do what we do in the Isaacs house when we need to just kind of regroup. We put on sweatpants, and we get in the bed. 
That's what we do at our house. I don't know what you do. That's what we do. So we got home. We put on sweatpants. We get in the bed. We turn off the phones. And we just laid there. Luckily, I had a boss. Luckily, I had a boss who was like, hey, just take as much time as you need. We just laid there. Andrew just cried. I kept saying, can I do anything? She just kept crying. When she stopped crying, we'd watch some stupid cable show. You know, we didn't have cable. We'd just find something. And it, 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 in those moments, we were laying there. Like, I would love to tell you, it was this real spiritual experience where you just felt the peace of God. We didn't. But looking back, it was so evident that we were experiencing the peace of God because stillness can heal you even when you don't even realize you're being healed. More than getting on the phone and telling what the doctor said 14 times to 14 different people and rehashing the story and and talking about what we're afraid of and having people say it's going to be okay, more than any of that, we just laid there. We probably ordered five pizzas in three days. And it was like, like it was those, it was like life was in slow motion. Like you just saw every turn of the ceiling fan. And it was as if every turn of the ceiling fan, it was just one more reminder, like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. We had, we had Sadie, another pregnancy, another miscarriage, totally different story for totally different reasons we can't talk about today. But, but got back in that bed, got back on that couch. It's going to be okay. Because the best thing to do when you don't know what to do is just be still. The best thing to do when you find yourself in the middle of the storm and you realize you can paddle as hard as you want to, but it won't matter, you just got to be still. So maybe for you, being still is getting home on a Friday and turning off the phone and not turning it back on until Monday. Maybe it's turning off the news or canceling the cable. Maybe it's getting off social media. Maybe it is ending some relationships that are causing your life way too much stress and fear and worry and anxiety. I don't know what being still is for you, but I do know that you'll never experience peace beyond your control if you can't be still. Let's pray.